Oh, baby. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Holy crow. I think it's in the Bible somewhere. I've been looking for it, but... Wow. Can't wait to share this with you. So let's pray. God, what great news. What great news we get to sit with today. But I do know this, that what I'm going to share is going to sound, it has the potential just to make no sense at all. actually sound like foolishness. And what I'm going to share today has a chance to make all the sense in the world. And that's what I'm praying for. I pray that you might fill this room with your grace and that your Holy Spirit might enlighten the eyes of our heart so we can see you and understand you. We know you, we know you want to draw near to us, and God, help us to know today how clearly and confidently we can draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, so did you guys watch that video or whatever? Okay. So I don't know about you. I wish I was here to come right off that because I had a great little intro. Um, but I, you know, I've, I don't know. I've never actually had to uh, approach a king, right, like that. But I have had to approach my wife, you know. <laughs> and what I thought as I watched that video, I was like, I wish I had the theme, same theme music. Don't you? <laughs> Don't you wish you had the same, like, when you have a relationship with someone who's, like, close to you and you love them and you enjoy the freedom of really getting to know them or knowing them intimately, and then you blow it big time, right? And you know that you have to go now share with them. Don't you wish you had that music? Just to kind of give you the courage? Because I don't know about you, man, it's scary as all get out, isn't it? It is scary as all get out. When there's someone you love that you know you've hurt. And it's weird. And the reason you know is because we have this thing God gave us called a conscience. <laughs> and the conscience rises up within us. And even sometimes before they even know you've done anything, you still feel this thing going on. It's gnawing at you. And what's crazy is you can try to cover that up, right? <clears throat> Which we've all done. And when you are covering it up and you think that'll make it better, it doesn't make it better, does it? Because your intimacy and your closeness with that person is just falling apart. And it's so hard to go to them because you don't know. If you risk totally confessing your stuff to them, you have no idea if that relationship is ever going to be the same again. Anybody been there? Okay, all you humans. So what happens is our conscience does one of two things, I think. 
First of all, your conscience can bear so heavy on you that you go anyway, even in the midst of your fear. And you risk the judgment and the loss of the relationship with the hope that there will be forgiveness and you'll get a second chance. It doesn't get more tense than that, does it? Or your conscience can do this. Your conscience can actually get seared. And what happens here is somehow what will happen is you'll actually justify the action or you'll keep it covered. And here's what's interesting. When you're justifying what you've done or you're keeping it covered, you will almost always end up doing it what? Again. And then you'll do it again. And then you'll do it again. And next thing you know, your conscience that used to feel guilty doesn't even feel that anymore. And now you even don't even care. And the intimacy of your relationship is totally gone. So, we all know what that feels like. So Jesus comes and he tells us that life, 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 you guys, everything your soul is longing for is wrapped up in intimacy with God. It's wrapped up in being one with God. And what's horrible is when that's life and yet that sweet sense of his presence is gone because you know that you've been doing stuff against God. So I just want to ask this morning, how's your conscience this morning with God? Is it clear? Is it clean? Like, sweet, can't get it, wait to get into church and be in God's presence today. Or is your conscience today heavy? Is it burdened? Do you have a guilty conscience today? How was Saturday night? How's your shame today? And I know in a room this big, there's a lot of that going on today. And your conscience is heavy. Or your conscience could be seared today. And what's interesting with a seared conscience is you don't really feel any guilt, but you also have no intimacy with God. Right? You think God's a good guy up there, and he's like, hey, it's cool, you know, I love you anyway, no matter what you do. I'm going to show you today, that's just not true. And you can dupe yourself into thinking that, and that's called a seared conscience. Just like I could totally sin against Susie and go, ah, you know, she always loves me. It's just not true. So, look at this verse, Ephesians 3.12. This is our verse for today. In Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Is that not good news? This is huge. Because some of you right now, man, it's like it's, your, your gut is aching because of the life you live and the shame and the guilt. Maybe for what you've just done or stuff you've done in your past. And in Christ and through faith in him, you today could approach God and, with freedom and confidence. And I love that word freedom. It means free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, boldness, and assurance. Woo! How many of you come to God like that? Or how many of you go, ooh? Right? So here we go. And I want to show you today, this was not always the case. It was not always the case that people approach God with freedom and confidence. And you've got to remember that God, from the beginning of creation, has always wanted to be in your presence. That's life. 
and he's done everything he can to be in your presence. What we're talking about today is a holy God who wants to be in relationship with people who aren't. And so what does he have to do so you and I can approach him and be in his presence? And what we want to answer today is how is it that Jesus Christ is the way in which we can approach God with freedom and confidence? Now, here's what I'm going to share with you. I'm going to, say, I'm going to share some stuff that most of you I know in this room are going to be like, what in the, what are you talking about? And I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Here's what I know. Like, with many of you, when you kind of started your spiritual journey or got interested in Jesus, how many of you thought, well, I guess I should read the Bible, and so you started, and it's a book, right? So you started in the beginning. How many of you just started in Genesis and started reading, all right? Many of you. And you know what? Genesis is like, wow, there's some cool stories in there. This would make a great little mini-series, right? Which people keep trying to do. And then you get to Exodus, and it's like Moses hops on the scene and burning bushes and red seas, and you're like, sweet! And then you got to Leviticus, and you stopped reading. You're like, man, this is screwed up. This makes no sense to me. Well, here you go. 23 minutes and 8 seconds. I'm going to share with you Leviticus. You guys ready? Because without an understanding of this, you can never appreciate what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, we're going to go into Leviticus through the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, chapter 9. Okay? Grab your Bibles. Chapter 9, grab your notepads, grab your pen, freaking write stuff down. This will change your life. Hebrews 9, 1. The first covenant had regulations for worship. We're talking Old Testament here. And also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. So here we go. Let's put up, I'm, somebody, I, this is so cool because I, oh, here we go. Oh, oh, here we go. Can you put up the picture of the tabernacle? That's me. All right. All right. So I don't have time. So um, the tabernacle was set up. And this was an Old Testament. It was a tent. And it was, and there we go. Thank you. And so it was, a, it was a tent. That's what it looked like right there. That would be the Old Testament tabernacle. It was something they could take up and they could put down. But here's the key to this whole thing, you guys. When God was trying to help people know that he was real way back then, he actually manifests his presence physically. He would come in a cloud, and it started with Moses on Mount Sinai. So when Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments, right, this cloud comes down, and it is so powerful and so majestic and so terrifying, the people are freaked out. And they're like, man, if we even get near that thing, we're going to die. And they were right. So they said, Moses, you go. We're going to hang back here. <laughs> right? And so Moses actually got to go in to this cloud. And then what he was doing when he did Mount Sinai is God, at that moment, he says, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. He was starting a relationship with the Israelites just like he is with you. Okay? And then what happened was he built this tabernacle and this crazy thing happened in Exodus chapter 40. You can write these verses down, 34 through 35. <clears throat> it says, then the cloud that they were all freaked out about because it was the presence of God, it covered the tent of the meeting, picture that, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was able to go into the cloud on the mountain. It was, no, that's me. Put that bag up there. Sorry, want to keep that up there. I know I'm good looking, but this is better. All right. So, the tabernacle. <laughs> that, so you got to picture this. 
the cloud comes over this and the presence of God is so thick in there that Moses can't even go in it. The presence is there. So we go to now we go to verse the rest of verse two. In its first room, where the well, you know, actually, now we can go. Let's go to the diagram. All right. This is now a diagram. Somebody gave me. Is that working? Ah. All right. So the, um, this, this is the diagram. You come into the end here. And in its first room were the lampstand and the table and its consecrated bread. And this was called the most holy place. We're talking this section right here, you guys. This is the most holy place. So you'd come in here. This is the altar where you'd burn your sacrifices, which we'll get to in a minute. This is where you would wash yourself. And then this was the holy place. Outside here, this is where anybody could hang out. Only people who could come in here were the priests, okay? And that's what we're talking about right here. And he says in the scripture, he says, that in that room where the lamp stand, the table, and it's consecrated bread, and this was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain, so here you go, you got this curtain right here, and if you've heard, it's called the veil. You actually worshiped a song talking about the anchor behind the veil, right? Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, the holy of holies, and in it, the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. Anybody see Raiders of the Lost Ark? Okay, here you go. Oh, by the way, did you see what happened when they saw the Ark? Just remember that. All right. This Ark <clears throat> contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. And above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. So in that Holy of Holies, the only thing there is the Ark of the Covenant and these wings of cherubim cover it because in that was the presence of God. It was the Holy of Holies. And then I love what the author of Hebrews says next. He goes, but we can't discuss these things in detail now. <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, I could go with you for weeks on this stuff to try to explain to you all the symbolism, but we gotta get to why this matters to us today. All right? Thank you for putting these images up. Keep this kind of image in your mind, all right? Now, Virag, go ahead and let's put up verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, okay? So not in the holy of holies, but in the holy place, right, where I showed you. And they came in there regularly to carry on their ministry. So here's what happens, you guys. Sacrifices were made daily, every day. Sacrifices were made. They would bring their offerings. You know what an offering meant? You know how you, you know, we take our offering here? You know what the offering, the, that word actually meant? To bring things near. It was all about how do I get close to God. And what would happen is people would lay their hands on the sacrifice that they were going to bring to identify, okay, okay, get this? Baptism's coming up tonight. So to identify themselves with the sacrifice, Three different sacrifices, the first three, were made and the result just to please God. And you could do these anytime you wanted. One of the sacrifices was called a burnt, a whole burnt offering. And that means you would come, you'd bring an animal, and you would toast the whole puppy. It, no, it wasn't puppies. It was bulls. And <laughs> don't toast puppies. Bad. Okay. Okay. We'll record second service. All right. But what you would do is you'd put the sacrifice on there and you'd burn the whole thing up as a symbol. What you were saying then is, all of me, God. 
All of me. Identify with that. I'm yours, man. The second one was called a grain offering. And that means you'd bring in all the sheaves and you'd lay this offering before God. And it was simply to say thanks to God. Sometimes you were just so grateful for all the good things he did. You just wanted to come and give an offering and a sacrifice to him and say thanks. And then the third one was called a peace offering. And in this one, you'd bring the animal and half of it would be burned to sheds all the way gone. And then the other half you'd eat. And what that was symbolizing was you and me, God, we're having a meal together. It was a covenant meal. You and me, God, I love being with you. Let's have dinner together. Half of it's yours, half it's mine. Let's eat. Isn't that cool? Then there were two more, the sin offering and the guilt offering. And that is where you had to bring an animal and you had to kill it. Because why? Because if you wanted to get into the presence of God because of your sin, if you went into the presence of God, what would happen to you? You would die. And so God's like, but I want to be close to you. So something's got to die. And so God set up this system of sacrifice to say there can be a substitute in your place. So you lay your hands on this animal, you sacrifice it unto me, I'll accept that sacrifice, the blood that was shed for that, and that will be death so that you can now come near to me. And here that went on every day. People would be bringing those things. All right? Then, but only the high priest entered the inner room. Okay, now we're going to the holy places in the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So now, day after day after day after day, there was these sacrifices made in the outer temple, outer court, the holy place. But one day out of the year, only one, and only one person actually went in to the most holy place, the place where people were scared to death of. And on this, it was called the Day of Atonement. You see it on your calendars as Yom Kippur. You guys all seen that? Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. It was the one day when the high priest, as a representative of all the people, could go into the most holy place and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people so that any, and the whole point was, any sin that you missed in all those other times, on this day, everything got covered. Whoo! People are like, man, hurry up and get to the Day of Atonement and cover me, right? And so what happened? There was a high priest, and it was a huge job because if he didn't go in, if he didn't do everything perfectly, then he went into the most holy place, what would happen to him? He'd die. Anybody want to sign up for that job? Okay. And so you know what he would do? A week before, he would go away and he would fast and he would pray and he would make sure that his heart was pure to even go in there. And then he would ceremonially wash himself three times to symbolize that I am clean. And then he would sacrifice a bull. Okay. We're not talking the little guy. We're talking a bull on behalf of his sins and his family so that the high priest was clean sinless, because otherwise he could not go into that room. And here's the other thing. All his buddies were praying for him too. And they're like, man, I hope you don't screw up in there. And I hope you come back out and get in there quick and get out and do your job. And this was a huge, huge day because he was doing this for everybody. So the high priest. And then secondly, it says what? He couldn't go in there. Never, never, never walk into the most holy place without blood. Why? Because in Leviticus 17, 11, and I don't have this up there. You can write this down. Here's what God says. 
The life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. In the New Testament, it tells us there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So he walks in there, and here's how it worked, you guys. There were two goats, and the high priest would sacrifice one of the goats. And then on behalf of all the sins of all the Israelites, and if you've ever read the Old Testament, they had a lot of them. And he would walk in, and he would put the blood over the ark as a sacrifice that God would say, I'll accept that, and I'll forgive you of all of your sin. Now, there was a second goat, and this goat got to live. Anybody know the name of this goat? The scapegoat. How many of you have heard of the scapegoat? So you all know what a scapegoat is, don't you? You know what? In the Hebrew, it actually started off as the escape goat. And here's what would happen. The high priest would lay his hands on the head of the goat, and the word means to press him on. And here, let me just read it for you. The high priest is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sin, and put them on the goat's head, and he shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task, and the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it into the wilderness. Isn't that cool? Again, what was happening? When, the, when you put your hands on something, what were you doing? You were identifying yourself, all of you who get baptized tonight. You identify yourself. And so he was saying, all the sins of Israel on this goat, send it out and carry them off. And that word means to bear. And here's what's interesting. To carry it or to bear it, in the Hebrew, the same word means to forgive. So here's what's interesting, you guys. So in light of all this, the priest does everything right? The priest is the one who sacrifices the animal. The priest is the one who has to be clean and cleanse himself and wash himself and sacrifice for himself. And the priest is the one who kills the goat and makes a sacrifice for all the people. And the priest is the one who puts his hands on the scapegoat and sends the scapegoat out. And all the people do what? See, here's what's interesting. There's one thing that God says in the Bible. On the day of atonement, on Yom Kippur, all of you people, you are to see this day as a Sabbath day which means you do what? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? The priest does all the work, but you are to treat this as a Sabbath. Don't you dare work for this. I'm going to do it on your behalf. Now, there is one thing he does say that you're supposed to do. He says you're supposed to deny yourself, and it says it often, deny yourself, deny yourself. So again, what does that mean? It means that, so here's what had to happen. Yes, the priest was doing all the work, but if I'm sitting there and the priest on my behalf, I had to be doing some very deep, ruthless self-examination. I needed to be in fasting and prayer on that day and denying myself, which means denying my sin, denying my sin against God, denying my self-righteousness. You guys following this? That's what had to happen. And so if, and here's why you could actually do the sacrifices. And in fact, if you read the Old Testament and you get to the prophets later, God looks at the Israelites and he goes, I hate your sacrifices. <laughs> and you're like, well, didn't you tell us to do them? Yes, and I hate them. You know why? 
because you're just doing religious ritual and it doesn't mean anything to you. So you can actually go through the whole ritual and you can still do this today, by the way, and God could give a rip that you do the sacrifice even though it's essential. What you gotta do is sit back and make sure that your heart is actually receiving the gift that God just gave you. That's your job. Receive it and repent of your sin and be made clean by the sacrifice made for you. Now, verse eight. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration. So what he's saying, you guys, is as long as the, oh, oh, this tabernacle, all that was was an illustration. The word means a parable. It was a word picture. All of this was just a word picture for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. So, you guys need to understand this about the Old Testament. I know you read it and you're like, I don't get it. It's just goofy. What you need to understand is what God was doing is he was establishing some mental pictures, some physical experiences, so that and of everything was simply to point to Jesus. So that when Jesus came, he could actually make sense. So when he was on the cross, people would go, oh, he's not just setting a good example. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. But it's all about Jesus. It's setting us up so we could understand Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit was going, I'm going to give you this word picture. So in the present time, you'll understand this. And look at this. It says, because when these guys were doing these sacrifices, they were never able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. How's your conscience today? See, back then, it didn't clear the conscience because it was all boats, goats and bulls and animals. And so what it was, it was an outward cleansing. And so instead of clearing the conscience, all it did was remind them that they were what? You're a sinner. And I got to do this again tomorrow and tomorrow and the next day because I keep screwing up. And then next year, I can't wait for the Day of Atonement to make sure everything else gets covered. See, it never cleansed their conscience it just made them realize that they were guilty. Verse 11. But. I tell you guys this all the time. Greatest word in all the scripture. But. When Christ came. When Christ came. You guys remember Ephesians. In Christ and through faith in him, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Verse 11. When Christ came, as high priest of the good things that are now already here. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, not a part of this creation. So now Jesus, you got to understand, first is he's our high priest. See, he's the only one. And he didn't have to wash himself or go hang out for it. He lived a perfect, sinless life. That's why he's the only one that could actually go into the most holy place because he had no sin within him. And so he's our high priest. He's our mediator. He's doing all of this on our behalf. And he went into the tabernacle, but what's he saying? Not one made by human hands. What's he talking about? He actually says not even a part of this creation. Jesus Christ, this is why Easter was so important last week. When he rose from the dead, he went into the most holy place. Like, really? Not a little 14 by 14 spot but the real 
presence of God as your high priest to offer. Secondly, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats. This is verse 12 and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. See, Jesus, let's keep going. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? You guys, so what's going on here is Jesus, he's your high priest because he's the only one who can actually make the sacrifice. But here's the other thing about Jesus. He's not just the high priest. He's the what? He's the sacrifice. And it was his blood that was shed for us. And do you see what it says? Eternal redemption. See, this Jesus, this wasn't a goat. This was the son of God who died on your behalf. And since he has eternal life in him, When he died, his result was eternal redemption, absolute forgiveness, and he did it by doing one sacrifice. And here's the other cool thing, is Jesus is our scapegoat. He's our scapegoat. He's the one who bears our sins. And now the the prophecies in Isaiah, when it says Jesus bore our griefs, he bore the sins of many. John the Baptist, you guys heard of him? John the Baptist comes on the scene, and what does he say? Blessed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Guys getting this now? So identify yourself, your sins on Christ. Christ dies for your sins so you can be forgiven. He is your scapegoat. He takes them away so that God can now say, come on in and let me be in your presence. Hebrews 10, 11, and 12 says, Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. One time. No more sacrifice was needed. Guys, when Jesus was on the cross, his last words were what? What did he say? It is finished. Woo! It's done. No more day-to-day stuff trying to cover your butt. No more. It is done. No more day of atonement with a high priest shaking it in his boots hoping he does everything right. I have died for the sins of the world. So Hebrews 10, verse 10 says, and by the will of God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once For what? All. All. So how can you know that you can walk into the presence of God? Because Jesus Christ died as a sacrifice for how many of your sins? All of them. Verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Oh my gosh, you guys. When you put your faith in Christ, guess what? You've been made perfect. How's that sound? Especially when you look in the mirror after you've really screwed up, right? Because you're looking in the mirror and you're going, what? There's no way. I am a messed up person. I just sinned against God. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22. Look at this. Therefore, you guys, 
Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, and that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings. Jesus, all years of sacrifice has finally fulfilled it. So do you guys see the difference here? Do you guys see the difference? It's crazy. I mean, every Jewish person was scared to death of the most holy place. They didn't want to get near it. They knew that if they did, they'd die. And now Jesus is saying, hey, because I, as your high priest, have totally opened the door for you, you can go into the most holy place with confidence. For a Jewish person, they've been like, what? Are you kidding me? No, and that's what you can do. You can live in the presence of God. And here's the other difference. The Israelites' consciences were never cleansed. They were never cleared. But in Christ today, if you are a follower of Christ, your conscience should be what? Clean. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for what? All of them. There is nothing that you can do that Jesus didn't already die for. And I'm telling you, now how does this make a difference? You guys, this makes all the difference. I cannot even begin to tell you how many people I have prayed with right here in the front of the room who claim to be a follower of Christ and have so much shame and so much guilt and can't believe that God would forgive them for things they've done either in their past or things they did just last night. And I want to tell you, do you understand today, after hearing this word from God, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And he wants to set you free from that. I'm telling you, you have to fight. So how do we, how do we actually take this truth and make it make a difference in our life? And I'm telling you, the number one thing is I've been walking with Jesus for 26 years. I've been in ministry 23 years. And I still have to fight to believe this when I screw up. Especially when I royally screw up. You know what it's like to royally screw up when you're a pastor? That's fun. <laughs> and I'm telling you, you have to fight to believe what I just shared with you. That it's done. That Jesus did this. And I'm telling you, what did he set our conscience free from? Acts that lead to death. You know what leads to death? The stuff that you did, the stuff that you have done, your sin that you're in shame for right now. How much life do you have because you're filled with shame? When you're filled with guilt, doesn't it feel like your soul is dead? See, and he wants to cleanse your conscience from those acts that you have done. Man, can I just write these puppies down? These are two verses I'm gonna give you these are worth memorizing. I know these inside and out. You know why I do? Because I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. You've got to know these. More of you should have grabbed your pen. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. How's that sound? I'm telling you, 
Next time, and I mean this, look in the mirror after you've sinned and see your guilty self and then read that verse that God looks at you and says, I see nothing, no blemish, absolutely free from accusation. You are holy in my sight. Obviously not because of anything you have done, but because of what Jesus Christ did for you. 1 John 2, 1 through 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Is that not good news? Man, I'm telling you, that advocate means a defense attorney. And I, for me, when I've, when I've sinned and I know I've done something wrong, you know what Satan's job is? To be the prosecuting attorney. And he sets you up in the witness stand and he starts ripping you to shreds. And you stand there in the witness stand and you go, yep, 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 yep. Oh my God, it's horrible, isn't it? Isn't it horrible to have the enemy, when he, by the way, his name means accuser? He lives to condemn you. And you know what? While he's over there condemning you as a prosecuting attorney, guess who your defense attorney is? No, it's Jesus Christ. And you know what Jesus does? I always picture him down at the table kind of with his feet up on this desk going, yeah, go ahead, keep going. Go ahead and rip him to shreds. And then Jesus gets up and he says, I am your advocate. I paid your price. All of your sin has already been paid. You are justified. You are free to go. I'm telling you, it's the greatest news in all the world. And you're going to have to fight to believe that. Because I can tell you this, if you choose not to believe that, then you are saying that your righteousness is important and must be there to get you into heaven. Are you serious? You really want to trust in your righteousness? Get rid of it. Your righteousness, the Bible says, at best is like filthy rags. Don't trust in your righteousness. Trust in Christ's righteousness as your high priest who went into the most holy place, who sacrificed his blood on your behalf, gave up his life so that God could say, now you and me, we're good to go. I'm telling you, it makes all the difference in all the world. And here's what he said. He said this too. He said, I want to cleanse your consciences. So why? Verse 14, I don't know if you can throw it up there. So that you can serve the living God. Because here's the other thing I know, man. It's really hard to serve God when you're full of guilt and shame. And I remember one time, years ago, I so royally screwed up. It was horrible. And I was just like, you know, just beating myself up. That's like enough, man. I need to get out of ministry. I, I am one sick puppy. And then I read this verse in the Bible where Jesus says, streams of living water will flow from within those who believe. And I'm like, man, I, got no, I don't have any streams of living water flowing from me. I feel like a swamp. And you know what the Holy Spirit said? You know why? Because you don't believe. Streams of living water flow from those who believe. And he's like, Nelson, when are you going to start telling yourself what do you tell everybody else? When are you going to actually believe that even that sin was in the body of Christ and that he's already paid for it and it is done? And when are you going to accept it and believe in it and trust in it with full assurance? And I'm telling you guys, you got to fight to believe that. You guys, you know what I'm talking about? you got to fight to believe that. But I'm telling you, as soon as you do, and as soon as you put your trust in Christ and not in yourself, man, it was unbelievable. I was free. And isn't that what Ephesians said I'd be? I'd be free to go into the presence of God. And you know what was crazy? Right after that, I just prayed and I said, man, God, when I get on the plane today, please help me to sit next to somebody. 
And I got on the plane, and God sat me next to this gal. I can't even go to the story, but I had the most unbelievable opportunity to share the grace of God and salvation in Christ with her. It was awesome. Now, can I tell you, if I would have still been sitting in my shame and my guilt, would have I have shared anything with that girl? Nothing. I'm telling you, man, he wants to give you a clean conscience. So how are you doing today? How are you doing today? Do you have a clean conscience? Have you confessed your sin to God, knowing that he says, I'll be faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness because of what Jesus Christ has done for you? Or do you still have a guilty conscience? And I just want to tell you, some of you in this room, you have never put your faith in Christ. You never have. You've maybe never heard this. Maybe you've never understood this before. Why did Jesus come? Why did he die? Why did he rise again? And now you know. He died for you. And so here's what you need to decide. Do you want to place your hands on Christ? Do you want to put your sin and identify your sin with Christ so that his sin, your sin gets punished by him so that you are free to go? Or do you want to trust in your own righteousness and still struggle with your guilty conscience? Today is a day where you can say, I want to put my faith in Christ and I want to receive him as a savior of my soul. And some of you today, you're Christians and you've been feeling guilty. You've bought the lie. You have been living in shame. And today is the day where you need to go back into Christ and accept his complete forgiveness. You need to confess your sin to God. You need to repent. You need to take seriously what he has done for you. And you need to receive his full forgiveness today. Be honest with God and get your sin out into the light and let him power you with grace. Let him flood you with grace and let him forgive you once again so you walk out of here clean so you can start serving him again. Some of you haven't served God in years because of your sin. And Jesus already paid for it. And you've been buying the lie that you're not good enough. Well, hello, if you were, why would he have come? So man, today's a day. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to celebrate communion. We're closing our service with communion. Now you know why Jesus said, this is my body. This is my life broken for you. Right? Take and eat and remember Remember, I am your high priest. Remember, I am your sacrifice. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you for the forgiveness of many. And I want to tell you, man, he shed his blood for the forgiveness of all your sin. So here's what I want to tell you. We're going to celebrate that right now together. And we put it down here because we want you to approach God with confidence. We want you to come to this table and grab that bread, grab the body of Christ, dip it into that cup representing his blood, and then go back to your seat and just hold that, okay? Just hold that while we worship. And then we're going to take it together, okay? But I want you to hold it and I want you to sit there and some of you, man, confess your sin to God and just believe once again that he died for you, okay? Okay?